0: welcome to the show i'm bill newman
1: i'm buzz Eisenberg.
0: and we are really pleased although that's not exactly the word i would be grateful we'd be more like it to have attorney john pucci with us today because so much is going on in the prosecutions against donald trump and we rely on attorney john pucci to help us understand what is going on John, what is going on at the Court of Appeals and the Supreme Court? Donald Trump looks like he has asked the Supreme Court, or he has asked the Supreme Court for, uh, for I'm sorry, let me go back. Jack Smith, the, the special counsel, has asked the Supreme Court for direct review of the prosecution's case against Donald Trump, the claim of immunity. Tell us what's going on, please.
2: So what's going on is the case is uh, in the district federal district court in Washington, D.C. It's presently and remains scheduled for trial on March 4th of, to, of 2024. It's before a judge named Chutkin, uh, who's a very uh, serious person and a, and a great writer of opinions. And, and in front of Judge Chutkin, uh, Trump's lawyers made the argument that he is immune that is protected for all purposes from criminal prosecution for what happened on January 6th. So the January 6th case, the insurrection case, is the one before Chutkin, and Trump's lawyers filed extensive motions the government opposed. Trump's lawyers insisted he had what is called immunity, and immunity is protection from prosecution uh, for certain activities. And the decision... The, 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 the pitch from Trump's lawyers is the president, whoever it is, but in this case Trump, is protected from criminal prosecution for activities he engaged in, he or she engaged in, during that person's presidency. And we'll remember that January 6th, on January 6th, the time of the insurrection, Trump was still president that the, the, the Biden became president 14 days later on January 20th. So on January 6th, at the time of the insurrection, Trump is president and his lawyers insist he has immunity. And that, does, that issue of whether the president has immunity for acts during his presidency has never been decided. It's undecided in the history of the United States of America whether immunity exists for a president for acts while he was president. Now, the district court judge, who is a very smart, capable, experienced judge, ruled there's no immunity, that a president doesn't have immunity for criminal acts. And she wrote a 46-page opinion, and I want to quote one of the sentences from that opinion, which I found uh, profound and well-written and dispositive of the issue. She said he, the president does not have immunity, and she wrote the defendant's four-year service—that's Trump— uh, his four year service as commander in chief did not bestow on him the divine right of kings to evade the criminal uh, accountability that governs his fellow citizens. And she wrote further that the president does not get a get out of jail free pass just because he created, uh, he, he committed the criminal acts during his presidency. So she. Denied the motion to dismiss the criminal case, denied the, the claim of immunity, and set the case down for trial on March 4th of next year. And that case was then filed—Trump's lawyers then filed an appeal. And the appeal—traditionally, the appeal would go to the District of Columbia Court of Appeals to, to make a decision— and jack smith the prosecutor jumped in at this point and said let's jump the court of appeals and get directly to the supreme court who will have to rule on this opinion this decision of immunity and the supreme court has taken a very unusual step extremely unusual step and said yes we're going to consider we're going to consider whether we should allow this case to jump the court of appeals come directly to us and whether we'll decide this. And there are briefs to be filed by on on January 20, I'm sorry, December 20th of this month to determine And the Supreme Court will make that decision whether to jump this case from the district court effectively past the Court of Appeals and make the decision in the Supreme Court. And that kind of jurisdiction the Supreme Court has, it has the jurisdiction which it's exercised on 22 occasions in the course of the history of America to say we're taking the case in the district court. We're skipping the court of appeals. We're going to decide this ourselves and we're going to decide it soon. That's the status of it.
0: Okay. For those of our listeners who are saying, wait a second, I thought appeals happened after a trial, not during the litigation. Explain why this is different.
2: That's excuse me. That's generally the rule. There are a couple exceptions to that, and this is this is an exception that a defendant in a criminal case who claims immunity has the right to have that claim reviewed in the court of appeals or the Supreme Court, like in this case, uh, before going to trial. Uh, There's another exception as well for what's called double jeopardy, which is if you are tried once and a jury hangs, that is doesn't return a verdict. and, and you're, uh, the government attempts to retry you on the double jeopardy clause of the Constitution. You have the right to an appeal before a retrial. So there are exceptions to the general rule that there has to be a verdict for appeal in a criminal case. This is one of them.
0: Go back to the substance of this, please, Attorney John Pucci. The claim that the president has immunity. And Trump is saying... The president has immunity for anything he does no matter how criminal during his presidency that seems to me on its face to be absurd but maybe it's well I, <laughs> wouldn't be the first time i'm really wrong but it, how can that be trump said i can go out on fifth avenue and shoot someone and no one would care and that includes the supreme court
1: well, if, if I could just elaborate on Bill's question, I remember the Paula Jones case against Clinton. And Clinton claimed that it was brought while he was president and he had immunity from civil claims. And the court said, no, you don't. So if you don't have immunity for civil stuff, it, there's this is criminal stuff, which has mm, a greater, harsher impact
2: on people. All I can say is it's, <clears throat> it's not been decided. So, Bill and Buzz, you may have—if you were arguing, you can argue—you uh, know—for the prosecution here, which is such a peculiar it is. turnabout, Bill, look what's evolution. To us. The guy goes <laughs> to Wyoming, and all of a sudden, he's a Republican. He's a right winger. <laughs> who, who knew? And Buzz is joining in with him. I thought I, we were together on this, and now I'm finding my—I'm my, feeling under attack.
1: Here. Whither
3: Bill goeth? I shall go. So here's – this is Dan. Here's the argument I think the Supreme Court will make. The accountability for a president who violates the law exists in the Constitution. It's the impeachment and trial
2: of the president. Am I wrong? Am I right? It's a good argument. Uh, It's a sanction that's available. Of course, we have had impeachment in this case, which failed. Uh, we had impeachment and uh, Bill Clinton was impeached and that failed. So there have been processes for the removal of the president, not the sanctioning of him otherwise, the removal of the president. And Trump's been down that, that path twice and uh, his Republican stalwarts – maybe Bill was in on that, I don't know uh, – have, have uh, backed him up and they've not gotten the two-thirds they need to kick him out of office. But the criminal sanctions issue has never been decided. It wasn't decided in in, uh, the Clinton case because he was never charged, actually, uh, in the Clinton case. It was a civil immunity. Uh, And I I think that there's an argument, if I were on the Trump side of this, there's an argument that um, presidents have to be able to act. Without looking over their shoulder and having someone later say it was criminal, so if but, you take it, I, I
1: do remember Attorney John Pucci. I do remember reading the story behind Gerald Ford's pardoning of Richard Nixon, where Nixon's attorneys implored him to do it because <clears throat> the prosecution of a then sitting president at the time these acts, Watergate acts, were committed, would be so destructive of exactly what you're talking about—the presidency itself.
2: Yeah, uh, so, so picture a situation where the president is faced with a, a crisis of national security that is going to require him to make a decision a life and death decision for certain people uh, and he makes a decision and people are killed or murdered as a result of that not like him, maybe
1: Guantanamo you're talking about
2: maybe yeah. yeah well maybe not him personally but where he his decision he is impl- he's Im-, Im-, Im implied to he's directly explicitly involved in making a decision which has which could be a criminal venture in a in a normal setting, uh, and he makes that decision. The question the court will ask the the, the uh, Smith in this is, or, or the Trump's lawyers, uh, they'll be de- arguing: should he have be a, 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 should he have to look over his shoulder and worry about criminal liability? The danger
3: of that is that you're basically making the imperial presidency lawful,
2: right? It's a so. danger.
3: Bill? It, se- it seems to me
0: that one aspect of this that we have not addressed, that it would be crucial to the Supreme Court, is whether or not the acts that are uh, believed or accused to be criminal are acts that were taken in furtherance of the president's duties as president. Here, the president was doing something in furtherance of his candidacy, not in furtherance of uh, performing duties of his office. And that seems to me to be a crucial distinction. John, what do you think about that? Well,
2: that's an argument. But on the other hand, Trump would say, I felt I won the election and the entire electoral structure of America was at issue here. And and I'm trying to defend the Constitution and defend the structure of our government And, uh, you know, I'm being prosecuted for it.
3: I think he would make one minor adjustment to what you said. I think he would say the lawyers told him that the election was stolen.
2: That's part of it. And there were lawyers that backed him up on that. One of them's on trial now, Rudy Giuliani, who's got his own problems. Shall we just say that and leave it there? Um, So,
0: John, I want to know. You think that Trump could prevail with the Supreme Court saying – I have immunity? That's realistic?
2: I think there's a chance. I think it could be one in three or one in four. Uh, but I do think that, that he will get immunity for this. I, I think it's unlikely, uh, and I think that there are a number of the, the people he put on the court, including Gorsuch, who are principled, actually, and make, may say, no, we're going to pause this, we're going to stop this now, and he's not immune, and we're going to let that case go forward, and the case will go forward on March fourth, 2024, with the immunity issue cleared out, and they'll proceed.
0: How much of this, in your opinion, is going to be actual an, an actual analysis of the issue, and how much of it is, is going to be reverse engineering? We're going to get to a result. How do we justify it?
2: Look, I think it's an issue of principle, and I think that I may be naive uh, on this, but I think there are still principles that guide the Supreme Court, and I think that they're not going to be willing to go as far as Trump wants to go, and they're not going to give him the get-out-of-jail-free pass or a future president a get-out-of-jail-free pass for the rest of the life of our country. I just don't think that's likely to happen, and I think even the most conservative— judges on the court, including someone, as I say, like Gorsuch, is likely to back up and say, no, there's a line. We're not crossing this line. He doesn't have immunity. And I think that's likely how it's going to turn out. And the trial will start on March 4th, 2024.
1: Just one more question, uh, which is, does separation of
2: powers play a role in this analysis? Definitely. I mean, that's a very significant issue. And it's, again, it's undecided. So they are working on a blank slate. In the normal process, a case gets tried into the district court. There's a verdict of guilty for appeal. The defendant can't appeal, uh, can't appeal any case. The court of, It goes to the Court of Appeals. They write a thorough decision. The decision is well thought out. They may adopt Chutkin's ruling in this case. Uh, there's another process in the Court of Appeals where the defendant, if they lose the immunity argument can ask the Court of Appeals on banc, which is a term of art for, for getting the entire D.C. Court of Appeals to review the decision again. Um, and so that process is the normal process that a criminal appeal pursues. And then it's very rare for criminal cases to reach the Supreme Court. Remember, Supreme Court gets eight or 9,000 petitions for review every year, and they take about 80 of them. So it's very rare that a case, a criminal case, gets to the Supreme Court. But this case is jetting forward because of its significance and prominence and the necessity for a ruling before the March 4th trial date.
0: Back to my question, John. Is this going to be determined on the basis of the practical, the practicalities of the situation, which comes down to this? If the Supreme Court does not take direct review, at this time, in this litigation, Trump goes to the Court of Appeals, Court of Appeals en Bank. All of that takes months and months and months. The next election for president will have taken place. And if Trump wins, he gives himself a get out of jail free card. And that is what the Supreme Court maybe doesn't want to be part of that agreement to help Trump get out of jail free. It's that simple in some ways, isn't it?
2: Well, it could be. It could be, but the court has decided. I mean, the, every indication is that the Supreme's going to uh, court is going to decide this relatively quickly. They jumped on Smith's petition for for to uh, Smith asked that the case be jumped to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court skipped the Court of Appeals, get it to the Supreme Court. He asked for that, and in a blink of an eye, in Supreme Court time, uh, the Supreme Court said we are interested enough to order an argument on whether we should jump the Court of Appeals. They've scheduled that argument. The briefs are due on the 20th of this month. That's super fast. That's supersonic in terms of Supreme Court decision-making, and I think that it indicates they're going to make a decision, and I think that it's a simple case in certain ways. It's not really fact-bound. It's a relatively simple case. Uh, But it's a policy case, and it's never been decided. I think they're going to make that decision. I think they'll do it relatively quickly. That's what happened in Nixon, by the way. And Nixon was in this same space, the, the US v. Nixon, and they decided that case unanimously. Unanimously. It was not a divided court, even though it was made up of conservatives and liberals. And in Nixon, they decided to order the president to rev- to produce, Nixon to produce the tapes. They did it pronto, um, and, you know, the rest is history. So I think this will happen the same way it happened in Nixon quickly. They'll make a decision, and um, we'll see what happens. But I predict that they're going to find there's no immunity.
0: The question that I have for Attorney John Pucci is, what has happened since the days of Nixon when there seemed to be no question that Nixon could be prosecuted, but here there seems to be a real question whether Trump can be prosecuted for what he did as president. We'll pick up that question and find out the answer right after this.
4: You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg.
5: I'm Lisa Riley. Join me every Saturday at 9.30 a.m. here on WHMP as we share stories that shine a light on justice-involved individuals or just underdogs in the game of life, their struggles, their successes, and the many resources and opportunities available for those who are hustling to carve a new path and prove that failure isn't final. So unlock your future, rewrite your story. This is The Hustler Files. What's cooking at River Valley Co-op? Here's avid eater, grocery shopper, and co-op member, Bill Newman.
0: Sweeten up your holiday parties with gingerbread cookies, chocolate hazelnut seashells, vanilla Hanukkah cookies, and mini Dresden and stolen. It's all at the Co-op. Sweet treats, the holiday roast, fresh seafood, beer and wine, and lots and lots and lots of local farm fruits and vegetables. Do a little gift shopping, too.
5: River Valley Co-op, wild about local. Everyone is welcome. The holidays, baking, wrapping, decorating, and of course, shopping
6: for that special gift. Hi, it's Jessica, owner of Fitness Together in Amherst and Northampton. This holiday season, consider giving a private one-on-one personal training session with a Fitness Together gift card. Stop by our locations, Amherst or Northampton, to pick one up in person. Or give us a call and we'll drop one in the mail. Give a gift that keeps the ones you love fit and healthy. Happy holidays from all of us at Fitness Together.
4: Find local news and local talk for the Valley.
6: It wasn't necessary and it probably wasn't even appropriate on the one hand. I don't want that to sound like I don't support schools. I have a long history of supporting schools, certainly longer than any one of those city councilors.
4: Where the heart of the Pioneer Valley lives, 1015 and 1400 WHMP News, Information and the Arts.
0: Well, I'm not sure that Donald Trump will ever be breaking rocks in the hot sun, but he could end up in prison. That's a realistic possibility. But he has proffered all sorts of arguments saying, I can't be tried. You can't put me on trial for what I did when I was president. The Supreme Court's going to decide whether that's true or not. I would like to go back to the point that Buzz raised initially, which is look at what happened with Nixon. And when Nixon resigned his presidency and flew off to California, there seemed to be exactly zero people in the country who thought that he couldn't be tried for what he had engaged in and the conspiracy he had formulated with regard to the Watergate break-in. What has happened since then that says, oh, no, we really may have an imperial president. He really may have the divine right of kings. John, what's your view on that?
2: Well, just to be clear, Nixon was never charged, so the issue of whether he could be charged or not never reached the Court of Appeals, because what happened was the Supreme Court voted 9 to nothing, that the incriminating tapes had to be disclosed to the special prosecutor, Leon Jaworski, and they were disclosed. But before Jaworski or, or the Department of Justice could indict Nixon, Gerald Ford pardoned him, And that was an act, uh, you know, if you think about it, that was an act of uh, where Nixon uh, had the divine right of kings to evade criminal responsibility conferred on him, and it's still a subject of debate, but the history is that he was never indicted, uh, and so the issue never rose to the top for the Supreme Court of the United States to decide whether uh, he was subject to immunity. He was subject to um, investigation. He was subject to a subpoena power of the Department of Justice. Um, but he was not uh, ever got, it never got to the point where he was charged and they decided whether he was immune. So here we are. It's still undecided.
0: Tell us about the chronology of what is apt to happen here because you have noted that the Supreme Court is moving. In Supreme Court terms, it with lightning speed on that. Does that mean that this March fourth trial date actually may be well correct, set in stone in some ways?
2: It's not set in stone for sure. There's a hundred reasons why cases get deferred. Uh, but but let me let's be concrete about this. The judge in this case, um, the U.S. v. Trump has put the case on hold for now because she. I think it's a wise decision. She's decided the case is going to—the immunity issue will be dispositive, could be dispositive of the criminal case. If the Supreme Court finds he's immune, she'll have to dismiss the case, the insurrection case. And she's made the decision this week that under all the all things considered, the case should not proceed in the normal process that a criminal, criminal case would— proceed until the immunity issue is decided. She's holding on to the March 4th, twenty-four trial date for now, but all the lawyering is, is now stilled, is, is, is set aside, and she's not going to be making any decisions on discovery or any of the subsidiary issues in the criminal case until the immunity issue is decided. I think that's the right decision, whether you like to hear it or not. Um, because the whole thing is you know, in jeopardy. She knows that.
0: Well, sure, but why not proceed with whatever needs to be done to get the case ready for trial? If the Supreme Court says there can't be a trial because Trump can do whatever Trump wants to do, uh, so be it. That may happen. But doesn't this give the defense an argument after the Supreme Court rules and says, well, We haven't done anything here in this case for two months. We need at least a two month delay in the trial. Why isn't it she's setting her, the judge, setting herself up for exactly that kind of argument uh, from Trump's lawyers, which, well, would seem to have a lot going for it?
2: Look, they're going to make the argument, they're going to make a hundred arguments as they already have to delay this thing because their underlying strategy beyond getting him immunity is to delay this until he. Hope, from their view, hopefully gets reelected. In which case, if he gets reelected, he takes over the Department of Justice and he can order the Attorney General to dismiss the cases against him. So, delay is something they're going to pursue right up until the jury is in the box and the case is starting in front of her. If that's the way it goes, they're going to continue to seek delays and she's going to continue. Uh, She's going to have to decide whether to extend it for a month at this point she's going to have to decide to wait, she's apparently decided she's going to wait out the Supreme Court process. She's assuming, I think, that the Supreme Court's going to decide immunity, she's going to wait that out, and whether that takes two weeks or two months, she may have to adjust the trial schedule. That seems to me clearly what she has decided.
0: John Pucci, I'd appreciate one other perspective that you might be able to share with us, and that is the lawyering in this case. Has Jack Smith done a good job? Have the defense lawyers actually done a good job for Trump?
2: I think that the answer on Jack Smith is he has done a good job. I think that his he was it's his petition to take the case to the Supreme Court because he doesn't want it bogged down in the Court of Appeals. So I think that's a good decision. I think let's get it. Let's. It's going to. If it went to the court of appeals, regard you know, and they decided to dismiss the case, that would be an appeal by the government. If they decided to to uh, allow the case to go forward, uh, that would be an appeal by the defendant. And so, I think it's a wise choice. Get it done. Hold the date.
3: I. I have a question here. Does Dan. Sure, Dan this immunity question does it apply to the Mar a Lago secret documents case? Because from my understanding. He did that after he was president, right? So I think from a legal perspective, it wouldn't cover him in that case, right?
2: That's a separate issue because it's post-presidency right. activity. So they could decide that a president has immunity for what happens within the four years of or eight years yeah. of the presidency the period right. and not for illegal acts thereafter. After. So they could draw that line. And it feels to me like that would be a line they would draw. Criminal yes. activity post-presidency can be, criminal, criminalized, can be criminalized and prosecuted. But that's not where we're at in this. This is that period from January 6th when the insurrection happened. He's still the president of the United States.
3: Until January 20th.
2: Until January 20th. That is a fact. Those are facts. And so that brings in the immunity during the period of the presidency issue, which is the narrow issue before the Supreme Court.
1: We don't have a lot of time, but I would love, John Pucci, to talk about obstruction of justice and that issue. Uh, is there a way for you to summarize that in a, in a minute or two what that issue
2: is? So there's an entirely separate case uh, that has worked its way up from the district court through the Court of Appeals in Washington <clears throat> and is now in the Supreme Court in which the decision of whether or not uh, these the the, uh, the the core violations that the Department of Justice has pursued in the insurrection cases— actually uh, uh, legally constitute obstruction of justice under the relevant statute. So the statute, all these people uh, that have been convicted, and there's been almost a thousand of them, of obstruction with regards to the insurrection were were convicted under a statute called 18 U.S.C., 18 United States Code, Section 1512. And that statute, which was created not so very long ago, 30 years ago, Criminalizes obstruction of uh, certain kinds of obstruction of justice in in its language, and it seems focused on white collar cases in which there's an obstruction by destruction of documents or uh, uh, influencing witnesses to obstruct uh, in uh, an investigation. An investigation and the January sixth violations are not obstruction of an investigation. Their obstruction of a process, perhaps, of counting the votes through the Electoral College, but it wasn't an investigation, and it's a live issue, and it's a real issue. And I think the Supreme Court could go with the defense on that, and they could they could find that the violations people have been convicted of and two of the four violations Trump is convicted of do not constitute obstruction under the statute. The statute is narrow. The court's going to decide its, inter- its application on narrow grounds and decide that these acts that happened on this January 6th did not obstruct invest- an investigation and therefore did not violate 1512. And these hundreds of prosecutions, based on that theory that there was a violation of 1512, are out. They're out. They're overturned. And people have served time for some of those violations. Those cases are out if they're only on 1512 violations, and Trump cannot be charged, and those charges against him, two of the four against him, are not violations of the statute 1512 as it was created by Congress. And by the way, this Supreme Court has a long history—long is a strong word—has a history of narrowing criminal cases in criminal charges— and the interpretation of criminal statutes in criminal cases. So it would it would be consistent with what they have done for the past 20 years to look at a st- criminal statute and say, we're going to construe it narrowly, narrowly, and this these violations, which do not involve an obstruction with documents and do not involve an obstruction of an investigation, do not constitute violations of this statute. It's a real issue and it could flip hundreds of cases uh, in which people have been convicted and even served time for obstruction under a statute, and the government and the court could say it doesn't reach that conduct.
0: John Pucci, thanks so much for your insights. We really appreciate your time.
2: Okay. Thank you very much.
0: We'll be right back with Have Faith after this.
4: This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg.
7: For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. The Amherst town manager will remain on the job until at least 2027. The town council voted to extend Paul Bauchelman's contract after completing an evaluation in which he exceeded expectations of 11 of 13 performance goals, according to the Gazette. Bauchelman became town manager in 2016 and has been recognized across the state for his leadership. Bauchelman said he loves working for the town and the evaluation recognizes the hard work of all town employees who are dedicated to the community. Yesterday, at Franklin Superior Court, Yamil Nunez of Athol was sentenced to five years in state prison for a 2022 shooting. Nunez pleaded guilty to charges of assault and battery with a firearm, assault and battery with a dangerous weapon resulting in serious bodily injury, and other charges. Nunez was arrested on February 2nd of this year and held without bail after a dangerousness hearing. MassHealth members will be soon able to access doula coverage this spring as part of the state's work to improve the worsening maternal health outcomes. MassHealth may also be expanding their access to midwifery care after the closing of Leominster Hospital's maternity ward prompted a statewide review of maternal health care. Northampton will be welcoming a new business to Main Street. A donut chain specializing in Japanese mochi donuts will soon be opening. The business, Mochi Nut, is known for its mochi donuts, boba, and Korean-style hot dogs. It's expected to open in the former Brugger's Bagel Storefront on Main Street next to CVS. Mochi donuts originated from Hawaii and are a combination of American donuts and Japanese mochi.
4: Mostly sunny today, still a little breezy and brisk with a high of only 34 to 38. Scattered clouds tonight, overnight lows of 20 to 26, a temperature turnaround for tomorrow with a partly to mostly sunny sky and a high of 48 to 52. I'm 22 News Storm Team meteorologist Brian Lapis, 101.5 WHMP. Last summer,
8: Whalen Insurance finally did what a lot of insurance agencies around New England had done long ago. We partnered with a call center to handle routine things like a change of address. It went okay, but we're not going to continue. We found out that, no matter how simple or complicated the matter at hand, you prefer to talk to us. As one longtime Whalen Insurance client told me, the people at the call center are great, but they're not Amy. I like knowing I can call and talk to Amy every time. I guess I should have known. Local people and local service are what sets Whalen Insurance apart from those big 1-800-insurance companies. When you want a quote, when you need help with a claim, or anything else, just call. Or come to our office on King Street. Talk to Amy, or Kelly, or Mindy, or Valerie, or Lori. We tried the call center, you tried the call center, and we found out that you prefer talking to us. Whalen Insurance. Local people, local service, local insurance. Call 586-1000.
5: Do you know what's happening this Friday at 9 a.m.? Is this week's Shop Friday Peter Haven's Restaurant? Correct! They go on sale this Friday at 9 a.m. Peter Haven's Restaurant is a cozy Brattleboro Bistro serving refined New American cuisine. Chef Zach Corbin creates delicious French-inspired dishes with a twist. And now you can use their gift certificates at their Oyster Bar, too. It's right next door. Get ready to save 30% beginning Friday at 9 a.m. The Shop 30 Store at WHMP.com.
1: Hello, this is Patrick Kaling, Sheriff of Hampshire County. This year, my office received the prestigious Fatherhood Award from the Children's Trust, a state child abuse prevention agency, for our work with the Nurturing Fathers program. We are proud of our partnership with the Children's Trust and firmly believe that strong, safe families help build strong, safe communities. If you're interested in joining our award-winning team, visit our website, HampshireSheriffs.com, submit an application online, or call and ask for our HR department.
0: We welcome back to our show Rabbi Ricky Kozowski, who is the rabbi at Beta Hava in Florence. And with us as well is Pastor Marissa Egerstrom, who is the pastor at the Florence Congregational Church. They share space together. We are so pleased they could both be with us today because I've so much wanted to review with them and have their perspective on what happened, the bomb threat, the anti-Semitic over over overtones of all of this so let me start with you rabbi Ricky what happened when and
6: what's been the aftermath hi thank you so much for having us on um, so my synagogue bait Ahavah, the reform synagogue of uh, greater Northampton received an email bomb threat on uh, Sunday November 19th and um, it's the first time something like this has happened but I can tell you it was a as a rabbi, but also as a rabbi's kid, my dad's a rabbi, this is the kind of thing like we sort of fear and talk about, it's just sort of always in the ether that something like this can happen, never has happened to me, but um, immediately just, you know, saw a grizzly email and um, jumped into action and had to, you know, go through all the protocols, calling the police, evacuating the building, um, we, there was a concert that was actually about to start at Bombex a really wonderful fiddler orchestra concert. Uh, it was a little chilly and cold outside it was around noon. Um, so it was it was not an you know easy situation and um, so I guess that's the first part that happened. This was one of three that happened at the same time in the state. There were two others that happened in eastern Massachusetts and they' these bomb threats that have been coming by you know have been uh, happening uh, in the region in New England. I believe there was another 10 in New York City last weekend. Um, so this has really been happening, and uh, it's really in the context of this enormous 400% or so spike in anti Semitic incidents since so, October 7th.
0: So, Rabbi Ricky, you said that you were following protocols. There's a protocol in place that you had to prepare for that Beta Hava and other synagogues have, we may get a bomb threat. We need to figure out what to do. That's part of the fixtures of our firmament at this point. Um, yeah,
6: I mean, in the same way that schools get bomb threats and, you know, anyone that takes that works in education, but religious institutions also have are part of us and, um, you know, there's different protocols, but certainly, um, this is one of those things you know where you keep the phone numbers handy of who all the people you know in your speed dials etc there's a you know there are um uh whatsapp groups of the the whole jewish community so we can notify each other if there were to be some kind of anti-semitic incident or threat uh person of interest that kind of thing happening uh yeah unfortunately it is one of the things and i appreciate you pointing out how ridiculous and absurd and just kind of grotesque with the world that we live in that um, as spiritual leaders that's one of the things that we have to think about
0: what happened after the bomb threat
6: so um i can say right after the bomb threat you know there's a kind of adrenaline that kicks in when you're dealing with something like this you know sort of shock but you just move into emergency response and we you know the, the police the fire department the bomb squad were just incredible you know they showed up almost immediately it was very quick and, um, the bomb scout had to come from another part of the state, but I time is a blur. They were there very quickly. and we you know, it's uncomfortable. We have to search. they search the whole building with the bomb sniffing dogs who was um, uh, actually a really cute dog, but when he's working, he's pretty serious. And we go through the whole building afterwards with them., um, you know, they say, "Is this box normal? Was this here? And, it took about two or three hours. Um, I had to cancel my religious school program that afternoon. Um, uh, and, you know, I mean, that's pretty much the, thank God it was a hoax. You know, this is a hoax. It's called a swatting incident. That's what I learned it's called. Um, and, you know, it's designed to intimidate and to strike fear and uh, and a nuisance and, and, and really a lot of emotional, psychological distress when something like this happens. It takes a few days for us to sort of emotionally Recover and be in shock, but really, this is this is a rise. There's a 400 percent rise in anti-Semitism in this country, and 55 percent of um, religious-based crimes, hate crimes, are targeted towards the Jews, which only make up two percent of the religious population of this country. So that was that. I'd say that was the first part, but um. You know, usually after this, the next day, the next day I talked to our city councilor, my city councilor, uh, Stan Moulton, reached out to the mayor, reached out to Senator Joe Comerford. They all responded with incredible statements against anti Semitism in support of Beit in support of uh, Beit Ahava. I also include Islamophobia, which is also on the rise. They are fully in support of uh, the religious minorities here. And um, that was kind of that. And then beyond that, there's kind of like an uncomfortable, silence like what do we do next like how do you really respond in a big way as a community and this is where I want to turn it over to my colleague Pastor Marissa Eggerstrom for really um, uh, embodying a different kind of response that a community and communities can have in solidarity in this really difficult complicated time where we're you know it's all it's a mixture of anti-semitism horrible Islamic, Islamophobia, phobic um, incidents that have been happening. We're in the midst of the Israel-Hamas war. There's a lot of complex feelings. And I just want to ask Marissa to share about what she did, which is quite incredible.
0: Yes, I would really like to hear Marissa Eggerstrom, who is the pastor of the Florence Congregational Church, uh, which shares space with Beta Hava. They're in the same building along with Bombex. Uh, pastor Marissa, what would you do and why would well, you do it?
9: Well, we all met, you know, so there's the four principal organizations, right? So there's Bombix, there's the, the synagogue, there's the church and there's the preschool. And, and the four of us got together and said, okay, what now? And, you know, two things kind of were clear coming out of that. One was that we didn't want to basically put the work of the jerks on blast and do their work for them and give them a bunch of publicity. So we didn't want to, and, and part of it was like not wanting to activate people's trauma. Either and you know just get everybody riled up when there was no current threat per se. Um, but then also, what was really clear out of that meeting was that our Jewish brothers and sisters needed to be seen, uh, recognized, reassured that they were not alone in this, that uh, we cared basically, and 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 saw their full humanity. You know. I've sort of sardonically been saying, like, the best way to know that there's not a bomb in your building is to get a bomb threat. Uh, you know, as somebody who grew up with such routine bomb threats at my schools, you know, it just became another kind of drill, and I, and I think about that when you know we've got so many of our kids going through active shooter drills and active shootings um, all the time. So you know, there's a way to sort of approach danger from a calm place, and we knew we needed to do that. What did you do? A- well, so uh, we started brainstorming and, um, and you know, from my own sort of like trauma-informed background, um, you know, I knew like statements and words get sort of uh, hard to hang on to if you're in an active state of trauma. And so I thought, well, what if we did something that was visual and what if we could visualize uh, this incredible network of creative people who are all kind of leaning and working towards, our own shared and, and differing visions of what a just, fair, peaceful, safe world looks like. And so, trying, you know, I wanted to get the involvement of all our constituent groups, all of the groups that come by um, to tell hear. Us what,
0: tell us what you did.
9: Okay, so we got ribbons. <laughs> Sorry. We got ribbons, uh, a whole bunch of ribbons, and we uh, passed out Sharpies at different um, shows and rehearsals and had people write uh, messages of just love, support, care, um, prayers, hopes for a better world onto these ribbons and then installed them uh, from cables in the sanctuary. There's about uh, somewhere between 150-200 ribbons now sort of like floating on the air currents uh, above the pews.
0: And they have been up since when and they will stay up for how long?
9: They've been up since Sunday uh, when we presented the project to Ricky and her congregation at their Hanukkah party, and it'll be up through January 2nd.
0: And has it made an impact on your congregation? On mine? Yes.
9: Oh, yeah. Um, Yeah, they were so moved. Um, I just got a text a few minutes ago from a congregation member saying she can't wait to see it Sunday. So,
6: yeah.
0: And Ricky, has it made a difference for your congregation?
6: Oh my gosh. So, you know, we're in the midst of Hanukkah here. Tonight starts the last night of Hanukkah, which I can't believe already. And we're actually extending Hanukkah into this Shabbat. I'm calling it Hanukkah Plus. We're calling it Shamash Hanukkah. So the candle that lights all the other candles, we're moving, we're bringing that forward because it's extraordinary. I mean, some of my people got to see it on Sunday uh, and Um, I should say, Pastor Marissa and also Cassandra Holden, who's the Executive Director of Bombix, planned this as a surprise to me also, which is very hard to surprise me, especially in the building because I, you know, sort of, my business isn't everything and I'm always around. But they made this as an incredible surprise presentation in the midst of our Hanukkah performances. And... uh there were children there there were newcomers there there were families there there was another rabbi there um it was it was quite beautiful and stunning and actually i probably would not have been so emotional if i knew about it ahead of time i would not have probably really addressed and just stated what a distraught sad horrible time this is about the israel uh, Hamas war, about what's happening in Gaza, about what's happened in Israel, like I probably would not have been so emotional in that moment in front of the kids, because usually I'm a little more, you know, uh, just protective of my own feelings around the children. It was quite remarkable to f- to look at and see these ribbons with messages. I mean, I actually all week have brought my binoculars <laughs> and got up to the balcony so I could read, make sure I'm really reading each one, you also, sh- there's a beautiful thing, you kind of have to strain your neck a little and look up to read them. And that, it's like, it's uncomfortable a little for your neck, but that's the times that we're in. Like, we have to strain to see and read that there is support. It's not always right there. It's been a very hard time, I'll just say, for the Jewish community. I'm just speaking for myself. There's a, there's a, a, a just incredible difficulty in showing up and giving support because what's happened is related to Israel and people have complicated feelings. but this just cuts through that to our humanity. So it's beautiful. We want everybody to come in
0: and take a we, look. We are speaking with Rabbi Ricky Kazowski and Pastor Marissa Egerstrom. We'll be right back.
4: More Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg coming up right here on WHMP miss an episode of talk the talk with bill newman and buzz eisenberg want to hear the stories and perspectives of local business leaders click on podcasts at whmp.com talk the talk western mass business show financial fitness with the money doctor the hustler files panorama and more when it's happening here in the valley we're talking about it the only live and local talk in the valley for the valley whmp.com
5: Sipping and shopping and strolling. Tonight in downtown Amherst. It's a party all over town. The stores will be aglow.
7: Restaurants are doing dinner deals. There's a maker's market with a bar. 20
5: artisans inside the old Hastings. Sip and shop. Plus, horse-drawn carriage rides through town. Sip and shop and stroll in downtown Amherst. Festive and fun. Tonight, five to nine.
0: Maybe you still have your copy of a favorite long-ago book like I do about Mickey Mantle signed by my Uncle Bill, Hanukkah, 1958. A book can make a lasting impression. Something Someday is the new picture book by the presidential inaugural poet Amanda Gorman. Get it at Broadside Bookshop. For middle grade and elementary readers, Percy Jackson and the Olympians, The Chalice of the Gods, order any book on the Broadside website, have it delivered anywhere, or pick it up at the store, then browse a bit. Broadside, Northampton's independent bookshop.
6: Every time you open your energy bill, you cringe, and with good reason, because you're paying too much. The easy answer is solar, and taking advantage of solar energy with Franklin First Federal Credit Union is easy. Our solar loan puts solar on the table and a local expert can show you all the ways it pays to install solar. Visit franklinfirst.org/solarloans for more details. That's franklinfirst.org/solarloans. Franklin First Federal Credit Union, federally insured by NCUA.
4: You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP.
0: We continue our conversation with Rabbi Ricky Kozovsky, who is the rabbi for Beta Hava in Florence and Marissa Egerstrom, who is the pastor for the Florence Congregational Church. There was a bomb threat directed at the Jewish community uh, in Beta Hava. The other members of the Bombex family responded, as did the larger community. I would appreciate hearing from you, uh, Pastor Marissa. What's the take-home lesson here?
9: I think... Uh- it all comes down to connection. Um, you know, acts like this are designed to divide us and make us afraid and isolate us. And the way to heal from that, the way to prevent these kinds of things from happening in the future, is to give people a sense that they are connected, that they're known and loved, and part of something. I
0: have the same question for you, Rabbi.
6: Yeah, I. You know, a takeaway for me for this is how easy it is to break through. Uh, silence and how easy it is to actually reach out and comfort and touch people's hearts and that changes things so what Marissa has done she handed people a ribbon and a Sharpie and and a moment to just gather presence and write a message that you know it's like a text's worth of of a love on a ribbon like how much can you fit on there it could be a word it could be a sentence that's all that's needed and that it's transformative to be able to say that into the universe and to get it off your own heart but also to say it to the other person who's grieving or hurting or scared. And that is just a gift that transcends this moment and just grateful to her for for doing this but also to uh, opening up the doors for the Jewish community to think differently and uh, to do some deep collaborative coalition shared sibling work that we can do as artists and community members, faith people, all of that together. So thank you.
0: Well, I thank you both. And I thank you, uh, Pastor Marissa, thank you so much for thinking of this. But quickly, if I want to come see it, can I come up to the church or the synagogue uh, the, and, and see these ribbons, see this display?
9: Yeah, it'll be up uh, throughout all the events that are all listed on the Bombix calendar through the end of the year, yeah. and uh,
6: we'll be there Sunday. Yeah, we've even asked people who are coming to Bombix concerts can come early. You can come to any of the events of any of the organizations and experience it. Just really sit with it. It's quite beautiful.
0: Thank you both so very much. Rabbi Ricky, Pastor Marissa, thank you so very much for all you do and for being with us today. Thanks, Phil. Thanks, so. Phil. So. fight it all. I
10: Would you like a better world? It's as easy as grabbing a hammer and building a home. Pioneer Valley Habitat for Humanity builds strength, stability, and self-reliance through affordable homeownership in Hampshire and Franklin County. It's not a handout, it's a hand up. Habitat homes are built with donations of material, land, and services. Future homeowners and volunteers create a partnership with Habitat for Humanity to build a home, strengthen our neighborhoods, and create a legacy for our community. Help transform the world. Volunteer and support Pioneer Valley Habitat for Humanity pvhabitat.org.
4: The Northampton Community Music Center provides quality, accessible music education to more than a thousand members of the greater Northampton community. Hi, this is Jason Trotta, Executive Director of the Northampton Community Music Center. Our scholarship fund helps those with limited means access affordable music instruction and has never turned away a qualifying applicant in its 33 years of existence. To find out how you can help, Please visit our website at ncmc.net. WHMP. This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg on
1: WHMP. And welcome to Talk the Talk. I am Buzz Eisenberg. And I'm Bill Newman. And Bill, tis the season. We have Kwanzo, we have the last day of Hanukkah is today, we have Christmas coming up. We're all thinking gifts, and at the same time, the world is, well, being what the world is, we can't get very far away from science. I have a scientist sitting right next to me, as we are fortunately having every Thursday. It's Brian Adams, science,
3: gifts. And Professor Emeritus from Greenfield Community you got College.
11: it Oh, well, thank you, Dan. Yes, it is tis the season to get gifts and give gifts. Last day of Hanukkah, still time to get a gift for that special someone. Solstice coming up. Let's not forget that.
1: And solstice it's coming? Solstice
3: is a good a week
1: from for today.
3: For who, who don't know what that means, tell us.
11: Uh, we would know more about that a week from today. when We have our Smith astronomer on to talk about the solstice. Um, the official first day of winter, one week away when the sun, when the Earth is tilted furthest away from the sun, and we have the most nighttime. But we will welcome... The return of the sun a week from now with gift giving How about that <laughs> or a big fire or something to give out gifts. You know, one of the one of the um, uh, things that I remember least fondly in my life as someone who celebrated Christmas was uh, waking up, getting all excited, going to the Christmas tree. There's a big present there. Yeah, so excited about it. opening it up, and it's a frigging shirt, you know, <laughs> or a pair of pants. And it's like, no, 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 this is really not what I want. I wanted a toy. I wanted a toy. And the good news is, fortunately, today, we have someone uh, in the studio who's going to tell us all about toys. Uh, André Boulay is the owner of A to Z Science and Learning Toy Store in Northampton, Uh, and is uh, here with us today to talk about some of those uh, science toys, Andre, thank you so much for being with us today.
12: Hey, thanks for having me.
11: Um, So, Andre, let's talk about science and learning. Kids learn through play. They appreciate nature and science um, through play. Um, What are some of the big science toys out there that are the big sellers this year? Can you talk about that?
12: Yeah, I mean... You know our our toy store is called the science and learning toy store for a reason like we strongly believe with toys that they should have a focus on you know education but still be fun and uh yeah i mean there's so many good choices now obviously you know uh building toys very popular uh lego is always like big one just because there's so much open-endedness to it and uh you know we do a lot with uh engineering there's like a huge amount of um, different like robotic style kits, mixing engineering, construction, and then kind of like application to it. Sometimes there's coding, robotics, you add all these little angles to it can really help kind of, uh, you know, all sorts of different uh, approaches to learning and then building something that you then use to do something else. Uh, One of our favorites is a cyborg hand, you build this big hand, has hydraulics in it. And so you actually can pick things up and like move them around. And you learn all about hydraulics and All of that good stuff. You you
11: pick things up with this artificial hand that you've
12: (laughs) built. Yeah. So it's a whole kit. And when you're done with it, it actually looks like you have like Iron Man's hand, like on your hand. And each finger, you control a different finger on the actual cyborg hand itself. And so the hydraulics like give you a lot of force because the hydraulic pressure that you get from that, you can actually pick up like a full water bottle and, and hold it with your cyborg robotic hand. It's pretty wild. Wow,
11: that's very cool. Very interesting. That seems for, uh, to be for older kids, right, or
12: so, grown-ups. Um, you know, it's cool. A lot of the kits, I think, you know, uh, try and bridge the age gap. So that one, uh, I actually built it when my, with my son when he was 7. Uh, he's 10 now, and he would still honestly love it too. And uh, the age recommendation, that one's like, you know, 7 to, to 10 with help from an adult, which is also like a good opportunity for adults to kind of jump in and like, like do something special with their kid. And then, you know, if a kid's like 10, 11, 12, they can do that more by themselves and really enjoy the process on their
11: own, uh, with a little help still sometimes. With a little help from adults, I always getting, remember getting so frustrated <laughs> when my kids would ask me for help with anything that had any kind of uh, um, <laughs> uh, manual dexterity, like,
1: I can't do this! Well, uh, I think that's my question, Andre Boulet uh, of A2Z Toys. Is it science, something like erector sets from my childhood, you know, that's sort of mechanics in learning how to screw a nut onto a screw and, and things like that. Is that science?
12: Yeah. I mean, I think when we talk about science, I mean, the word that they throw out a lot is STEM uh, and, you know, science, technology, and engineering, mathematics. And they also like call it STEAM. They threw art in there. And I mean, I think the idea is exploration of your environment, exploration of learning and You know, we we learn best, like, you know, everyone goes to school, and I think you come out of school and you always know, like, you have to learn in school, but it's not fun, and you don't always retain it the same way, and I think some of the people's best memories from growing up is, like, learning that they liked to do something by playing with something that kind of goes into a, you know, new trajectory in their life, and uh, yeah, I think that's kind of our goal, like, it is science, and it is learning, uh, and it can still be fun, so
3: this is Dan, a quick question here about toys being fun. Uh, how how does uh, the toy maker, or how does a parent, Make the toy fun and still contribute to learning science. Didn't you see Big? <laughs> no, I didn't. You have seen Big? Oh, that's a great. No, no uh, that's I a, haven't. Oh, all right. Everyone I should mean, watch I Big mean, I there. can give a. I can think of a lot of toys that I had, and I don't remember them having a science component to it. So I'm, I'm just curious. Like, how does one? find the right toy for their kid if their kid doesn't like science? Like, how do you get them to initially like it and have it fun and have it be something that they're going to learn?
12: It's a good question. I mean, when we look at toys, you know, we also kind of think about, like, what kind of child is going to be interested in this. And when, you know, we kind of pose that and put it out in front of us, like, it starts pretty young, too. You find, you know, at age two or three, there's kids that really like to build and they like to stack things up, and they like to destroy them, and they like watch the cause and effect of that. Um, and there's some kids who, you know, aren't very interested in building, but they're really into, like, social play, and they might have, like, the dolls, and they're going to, like, pretend and act out scenes and stuff like that. And as they grow, they kind of go in different trajectories. And I mean, sometimes that play kind of shifts and changes. Um, and so then as they get older, it's, you know, a similar kind of thing. You you look at what what is it they like to do. And, uh, you know, like my son, for example um he's not like the biggest builder he doesn't like like to do as much with the larger lego sets and stuff but he's really into like the figures and playing and stuff like that um and then as he's grown too he's like more inquisitive about like how things work versus like building Mm. um and so you kind of first pick like okay like what what is it that sparks their interest in something and then you try and find you know like for us um when we look at the toy again, like the cyborg hand is a really good example because it kind of buries the hydraulics and the science part of it. And cause there's even like an anatomical aspect to it because each of the fingers are kind of attached in a way that like each of the, the tendons going to pull a finger up acts the same way those do in the human body. So when you put it all together, there's a lot of science, but realistically all the kid sees is like they're building a hand that looks like Iron Man's hand. Mm. And uh, you don't realize as you're learning, I mean, I didn't even do, realize when I did it with my son, Uh, I stepped out of that experience and was like, oh, I have such a greater understanding of like what hydraulics are and how they work. Because like you actually like pull the water into the, the little piston thing and hold it and attach it into the thing. And when you pull the little levers and stuff like that, the water flows and actually pulls the finger up and down. Um, and again, the same way, like a tendon and muscles and all those things connect, and the way the nerves fire and stuff like that—you just you kind of you, you get it, but it's in a fun
3: way. Just a quick follow-up: Can you tell us about the the type of prices uh, of the toys uh, around science at at your store? Does it range? Is there a varied, or is it kind of more pricey given the the complication of the toys?
12: Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. I mean, you know, we we definitely try to be a store that sells good toys. Um, and, you know, I think when you go into the toy market, there's a lot of just crap. You know, well, yeah, you can, I mean, that's <laughs> honest. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Well, you know, I think parents, when they're in a store, kid wants something and you'll, you'll try and find the quickest thing to get out of the store without a huge, you know, blow up. Uh, and so, you know, you have to balance that. We definitely have toys for everybody's price range. So, you know, if somebody only has $10 to spend, we'll find something. And if someone has $20 to spend, we'll find something, um, so you know, it's 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 all all price range. Toys
11: for all ranges and all ages at A to Z Science uh, and Learning Toy Store. We're talking with Andre Boulet, the owner of, along with his wife uh, Devon, of A to Z Science Store. Andre, something that drives me crazy, and um, maybe it's my age, but whatever, uh, is this fixation on electronics and kids just just glued to their iPads or their cell phones and not pulling away to do anything, not to pull... I mean, they're playing games, but um, it's, it's, this, it just makes me, it makes me insane, and I don't know <laughs> if I'm just an old fogey, but uh, how do you pull kids out of that world of electronics where I just don't see the science related to that often into more of a game or toy uh, uh, genre?
12: That's a good question. I mean, definitely, like, that's definitely the the new battle that I think parents have to face. And, you know, it's not going away, so we can't keep them off it completely. Um, I think coming out of COVID even more so, like, screens became the norm. But um, we also have seen a lot of parents and families in general have really taken the opportunity to embrace the fact that there is something other than the screen. And, for example, like, you know, board games, like, during during the pandemic and even now, like, there's so many families that got into, like, more intense or more interesting games like strategy games with more layers of difficulty and getting the whole family to sit down and do something together um you know i mean i think it's just knowing that there's other things to do besides the screen uh and that they can be just as engaged with it and sometimes you do have to put a little energy in to get it and put them in front of it um but they'll quickly like once they once they engage with whatever it is, I think they quickly discover uh, that it, it can be way more fun on <laughs> the screen and way more engaging and for fulfilling.
11: Let's <laughs> that's, that's hope so. Do you have games or puzzles or things like that that, um, that are interactive but are also science focused and science based or or get kids to appreciate the wonder or balance the beauty of the natural world in a in a in a board game. Kind yeah of game? I mean
12: there there are I mean you know a lot of good games are just good games too just by by the true nature of the game, the mechanic of the game, the rules, the strategies and stuff like that. but there's a few games in particular I don't know if you've heard ticket to ride. Um, that game's kind of cool. It, it, you have trains and you're traveling across the country, you're building train routes. And it's all different uh, states um, and specific cities that you're trying to connect to. So there's a certain amount of geography and understanding of how, like, train routes work and stuff like that. Um, And they have different versions. Like, there's a Europe version, too, so you can kind of learn the geography at that point. Um, And then there's another one uh, that's called uh, Trekking, which is all of the national parks. And it's a similar kind of concept, but you're kind of connecting all the national parks together and and across the country. Um, And then there's even, like, one of the most popular games right now. Uh, is called Windspan. and it's a game about birds uh, and specific species of birds, and it's super, super strategy oriented. <laughs> uh, but it's become one of the most popular strategy games, like uh, very impressively so. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think people try and mix those those fun elements in. Um, there's one other one too called Evolution, actually, that was really popular, and uh, it's all about like literally evolving from you know one creature into another and very strategy oriented so
1: yeah you can kind of mix both together and there's some good examples. I have a question for both of you before we a couple minutes we have before we take a break in you Brian Adams as an educator and you Andre Boulay as a, a retailer of scientific toys. What we all know that having fun while learning enhances learning but What's the science behind that? What makes it more likely to dis- that, a, that a child can retain information um, when they're having fun exploring it?
12: I mean, I think my opinion, uh, you know, you're more engaged with it. And you, I mean, the best kind of learning is when you're learning, you don't even know you're learning because you're excited about what it is that's being presented to you and that you hold on to it because it's that much more interesting you know like it has an application you know it's hard to just look at numbers on a sheet or words and you know try and draw a connection to the real world but when you are actually like have something in your hands and you see like when you move this or put this together it does this next thing uh that's very real and impactful and it just kind of you know grows with you at that point so
1: i'd like to hear from you professor brian adams because i will tell uh people that- At GCC, people loved your classes because you made it fun to learn science. What is it about that process?
11: Uh, Thanks, Buzz. Thanks for saying that. And, Buzz, you and I taught at GCC for for many years. And, you know, the worst thing the students could say about an instructor or professor was that they were boring. I mean, if you're boring, (laughs) that's it. It doesn't matter what the topic is. It's like, oh, my gosh, this is so
1: boring. I suffered through that class. (laughs) Oh,
11: so... You know, having a sense of humor and making things fun does engage a different segment of the brain that really locks in and holds information in a way that that is 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 very different. So, you know, with with me, it was trying to get people outside uh, and to have fun outside and to experience sort of the wonder, the beauty, the 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 mystery of the natural world. And I, and, and when we get back, I want to talk about that, uh, Andre. This whole thing of nature deficit disorder of 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 kids um, again we're talking about you know screenagers you know glued to their screens indoors all the time um, not getting outside and and are there activities science related gifts or toys that sort of um, propel them out and and uh, and we'll be back and talk with Andre uh, Boulet, he's the A to Z Science and Learning st- Toy Store guy. Along with his wife, Devin, owner and operator and wonderful purveyor. Is that the right word?
1: I think that's a really good word. We're going to talk more about, well, tis the season to learn. We'll be right back.
4: You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg.
5: I'm Lisa Riley. Join me every Saturday at 9.30 a.m. here on WHMP as we share stories that shine a light on justice-involved individuals or just underdogs in the game of life, their struggles, their successes, and the many resources and opportunities available for those who are hustling to carve a new path and prove that failure isn't final. So unlock your future, rewrite your story. This is The Hustler Files. Fitting in can really feel like it matters,
10: especially when you're in high school. At the Hartsbrook High School in Hadley, fitting in doesn't mean conforming. It just means a sense of belonging. If you're into sports or into writing, if you're into arts or into math, if you're into nature or using technology as a tool, you can thrive at Hartsbrook High School. And you can thrive academically while being an integral part of a community intentionally focused on belonging. Hartsbrook students take their learning out of the classroom, into nature, into the community, learning through experience, experiments, research, and group projects. Hartsbrook prepares a person to look the world in the eye and take responsibility for themselves and the community. Is Hartsbrook right for your teenager? For parents and caregivers, there's a Discover Hartsbrook High School evening, February 6th. There are visiting days for students, January 23rd and February 6th. Register at Hartsbrook.org. The Hartsbrook School, Waldorf education, early childhood through high school on a 55 acre campus on Bay Road in Hadley. Pets and people,
13: they belong together. They help us feel calm and loved with every tail wag, kiss and snuggle. Dakin Humane Society believes in this bond, and your support keeps people and pets together. You provide resources so animals with medical issues can get the care they need to find homes. Our pet food aid program lets people facing tough times feed and keep their pets because you care. Dakin's many programs and services help companion animals and the people who love them. To make a gift, visit DakinHumane.org.
4: You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. W-H-M-P.
1: We are back with our resident scientist, Brian Adams, and um, Bill, you have a, uh, uh, a question or comment for Andre Boulet of A to Z Toys?
0: I have a question. Actually, two questions, but they're related. Andre, how cool is it to work in a toy store? And second, where do you find the toys?
12: <laughs> That's a good question. I mean, it's, it's the coolest job. Uh, I mean, I actually started working in toys uh, when I was in high school. And uh, I, I started learning how to yo-yo at, at the actual store that we now own. And I very, very vividly remember as soon as I got my license, uh, I was like, you know, what are you going to do? Because uh, everybody usually got jobs at that point at 16. I was like, the coolest thing would be to work at a toy store. Um, and obviously like teaching yo-yos at the yo-yo class we had was really neat too. Um, and I, as I grew and it went in and out and stuff too, I, I always kind of came back to it. And uh, I stayed very strong in promoting like yo-yo competition and modern yo-yoing and stuff. So it always pulled me back to toys. Um, but when we took the leap to actually like take the store over, um, you know, it there's it, 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 a little bit of scariness in terms of taking over a business. But the fact uh, that we're selling toys and engaging with kids and the community and stuff, like every day we get up and we love what we do. Um, and I love the people we work with and the community and stuff like that. It's just, it truly is, it's the best job and it's fun. Um, and then your second question. If where you do navigate, you get the toys? Oh, uh, where do we get the toys? Oh my gosh. So, I mean, it's kind of an everyday thing. I'm always looking, I mean, the internet has helped me uh, connect in ways that were never before uh, possible. But before that, um, and still to this day, Um, We usually attend, you know, one or two trade shows for toys. Uh, The biggest one was always the New York Toy Show, which was at the Javits Center in February. Every single year until COVID, it's been a little more disrupted. Um, They did actually just have it this past year in October. And it does really help, though, because all of the toy vendors come and you see both a lot of new toys um, from, like, completely new people who have crazy inventions or ideas. Um, And then we also see, like, existing companies presenting new toys And for me, I think the biggest thing is getting our hands on them because, like, you can see a video of it online or you can see it in a catalog, but um, it's so hard to know, like, is this as good as it says it is? Um, And even, like, with the games, it's like you don't really know if it's a good game until you play with it and connect with it. So we take a lot of time um, in person visiting with people, getting our hands on the toy, like, you know, trying it out. Um, I mean, you'd be surprised even, like, with baby toys, like... One of our favorite companies is called Fat Brain. They make a lot of really like innovative toys in the baby industry. <laughs> and it's like you'd be surprised at how fun and interesting um, toys they make are. One of our favorite toys in the store actually is called the Spin Again. Um, and you look at it in the packaging, you don't really think much about it. It looks like a bunch of pieces stacked on a white pole. But when you take it out, they're actually gears, um, and they all have different shaped gears and sizes. And when you stack them, they spin down this kind of like lawn white dowel. Um, and you can lift the dowel up and they'll all fall off it continuing to spin. And it's just like one of the most visually pleasing and engaging things even as an adult to look at. But then as a kid, it's like amazing. And you just don't get that until you get your hands on it in person. So,
11: uh, Andres, you're surrounded by toys um, all day. Is there ever a time where you, you say, oh, my God, why isn't there a toy that that looks like this or does this? Have you, <laughs> you ever thought of inventing your own toy?
12: Uh, I mean, there's a little bit of that. I think our favorite game to play is like the customer comes in and they'll be like, okay, like this is what I'm looking for. Um, Or like, I saw it in your store six months ago and it was right here. And then, you know, sometimes they describe something we know exactly what it is. And sometimes they (laughs) will describe something and you're like, I don't think we ever sold this, but sounds like (laughs) a really cool idea. Like, yeah, I wish somebody would make it. Um, And then often you're right. Like you, you have an idea about like how something could be improved. And very often... Um, I search it, and it, it is out there sometimes, too, and we find it just by coming up with the idea, uh, and then you find someone else has already kind of started working on it or a different approach. Um, or sometimes, too, you just find, like, like it's, it is that, but maybe it's not possible that way, and then this is something comparable to it. Um,
1: you know. Andre, in terms of your consultancy, that portion of your uh, job, when a parent wants to know what would be good for my kid, How much information do you really need to be able to recommend something for a particular child?
12: Um, I mean, the more information, the better. Obviously, it depends on how much people know the child. And, you know, we have all kinds of people coming in at this time of year. Like, some people have never met someone they're shopping for. So, at that point, you have to kind of be more broad and make sure you're picking something that's just going to hit and be exciting because it's exciting or novel or new or interesting. Um, But ideally, and we actually like to train our staff, we play this game uh, that we came up with and... We basically put all these variables into a box, and they all have to pick a different age, a different type, and they have all these constraints. So, like, for example, you might, like, pull out of the box, like, I have a two-year-old. It needs to fit in a suitcase. Um, It needs to be something interesting, but not made out of plastic. Um, And, you know, maybe... The, the kid has a specific interest in cars, and, like, you have all these variables, and you have to kind of put it into all these things and try and figure out what is the best thing for that kid. Um, and also, you know, with that information, too, it's like, okay, well, I know they really like cars, but actually maybe they have a lot of cars. So maybe we can find something that, like, is connected but might be interesting enough, and that's the game we play every single day at the store. So.
11: It really doesn't sound like a job, does it? No, it sounds like they're playing. I know. I mean, if you ever need a toy sampler or a toy, you know, <laughs> toy player, please contact Buzz and Dan and me and and Bill. We're we would be happy to. But watch. I
1: guess most people don't come in with the child because they have to be surprised for Christmas, especially, especially this time of year. You know, I mean,
12: I think that's one of our goals too. Is we always try to remind parents and adults that like you can play like like you're going to give this to the child but you have an opportunity to engage with this too and it can be really fun um yeah, you know, like one of my favorite toys right now that we're selling a lot of is, is called Gravitrax. and it's almost like if you took a pinball machine and, and mixed it with a marble run um it has all these little mechanics that may push the marble in ways and make it go, you know pop off or go up or down and spin around and uh more commonly than not like after christmas or hanukkah like the dads are coming in and they're the ones, like, buying the little add-on sets because they've gotten so excited about doing it with the kid and seeing the results and stuff. Um,
11: you ask, uh, what age is your child? What <laughs> child? What are, you, <laughs> right. what are you talking about? <laughs> I want this toy for me. We've been talking with uh, André Boulay. He's the owner of A to Z Science Store on King Street in Northampton. It is a wonderful place. André, we just have about a minute left. I can't leave without talking about yo-yos. I know it's one of your favorite <laughs> science physics, math, toys. You are a yo-yo master. Um, you teach yo-yo and have had students going on to do competitions throughout the world, right? And I think you're doing something for first night. Is that right?
12: Yeah. Well, so we have, we we have yo-yo classes every Friday and Saturday, 4.30 to 5.30. That's every Friday, Saturday. Normally, they're at the toy store. We, we do it in Eastworks right now just until Christmas, but then in January, right back at the toy store. So come join us. Um, and, yeah, I mean, we have a whole yo-yo team, so as kids get through the, the yo-yo club trick levels that we have, they join our team, and then we do performances, and we've made national yo-yo champions out of that and people who place at the top ten in the world yo-yo contest, um, and they are going to help participate in First Night. One of the best yo-yo performers in the world is actually performing. Um, his name is John Higby, and the yo-yo team are going to do a little... Uh, part with him so if you look for like the yo-yo guy uh, you can see some amazing yo-yoing and that's always been a special part of what makes the store uh, you know cool fun unique
11: (laughs) Tis the season to get gifts and to give gifts and no other better no better place in town than a to c science learning toy store on king street in northampton thank you so much andre for being with us Uh, and parents look for Science and learning toys, rather than some of the crap that's out
1: there. I, I just, I, I just want to one last <laughs> question: How is sales going? How's the economy doing from your perspective? Yeah, I mean, so far it's good. I think it's, it's
12: we're coming out of like the most confusing uh, three to four years of retail, like 2019 to 2020 to 21 to 22, like very confusing years, especially in the toy industry, very volatile. But all of retail, um, and I think this year in general, like. We're just finding people are being very selective and and taking the time to find the right thing. Um, But, you know, we are very busy, and I think the community is always supportive of us, and we always know we'll get through. So every
1: year is a little different. Glad (laughs) to hear it. All right. I don't know what to say. Break a cash register. We will be right back and hear more about, well, Ruth Griggs has a new director of music at the Edwards Church, Adam Simon, right after this.
10: Come and buy my little toys. Monkeys made of gingerbread and sugar horses painted red. Rich men's children running past
4: their fathers dressed in hose. This Golden is ahead. Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg.
7: For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. The Amherst town manager will remain on the job until at least 2027. The town council voted to extend Paul Bauchelman's contract after completing an evaluation in which he exceeded expectations of 11 of 13 performance goals, according to the Gazette. Bauchelman became town manager in 2016 and has been recognized across the state for his leadership. Bauchelman said he loves working for the town and the evaluation recognizes the hard work of all town employees who are dedicated to the community. Yesterday, at Franklin Superior Court, Yamil Nunez of Athol was sentenced to five years in state prison for a 2022 shooting. Nunez pleaded guilty to charges of assault and battery with a firearm, assault and battery with a dangerous weapon resulting in serious bodily injury and other charges. Nunez was arrested on February 2nd of this year and held without bail after a dangerousness hearing. MassHealth members will be soon able to access doula coverage this spring as part of the state's work to improve the worsening maternal health outcomes. MassHealth may also be expanding their access to midwifery care after the closing of Leominster Hospital's maternity ward prompted a statewide review of maternal health care. Northampton will be welcoming a new business to Main Street. A donut chain specializing in Japanese mochi donuts will soon be opening. The business, Mochi Nut, is known for its mochi donuts, boba, and Korean-style hot dogs. It's expected to open in the former Brugger's Bagel Storefront on Main Street next to CVS. Mochi donuts originated from Hawaii and are a combination of American donuts and Japanese mochi.
4: Mostly sunny today, still a little breezy and brisk with a high of only 34 to 38. Scattered clouds tonight, overnight lows of 20 to 26, a temperature turnaround for tomorrow with a partly to mostly sunny sky and a high of 48 to 52. I'm 22 News Storm Team meteorologist Brian Lapis, 101.5 WHMP. Power to the people. Tag, your it. Tom Hartman, weekdays at noon. Tom Hartman program, your home for the resistance, commentary, conversation and common cause. Join me, Tom Hartman, every weekday from noon to 3, right here on WHMP. 101.5 and 1400 WHMP
5: What's cooking at River Valley Co-op? Here's avid eater, grocery shopper, and Co-op member, Bill Newman.
0: Sweeten up your holiday parties with gingerbread cookies, chocolate hazelnut seashells, vanilla Hanukkah cookies, and mini Dresden stolen. It's all at the Co-op. Sweet treats, the holiday roast, fresh seafood, beer and wine, and lots and lots and lots of local farm fruits and vegetables. Do a little gift shopping too.
14: River Valley Co-op, wild about local. Everyone is welcome. Every day, financial ads claiming to be different from the competition. Are they? I'm Francis Rayum, the money doctor, and I'm about to make a bold statement. I believe the thing to focus on isn't their uniqueness, it's yours. No one has the same financial situation or needs as you, and no one can help us help you better than you. But the truth is, when it comes to managing money, most of us are not as successful as we'd like to be. No matter how focused we are, it's almost impossible to separate emotion, and being in a relationship can further compound the issue. That's why I developed Hug Your Money, financial coaching coupled with online software and tools to empower you to manage money wisely. We guide you every step of the way to resolve immediate issues and plan for your financial future with modeling scenarios. So whether it's debt, budget, retirement planning, or a financial crisis, having a Hug coach in your corner is like having a new best financial friend. Hug Your Money is as unique as you are. In fact, it's patented. Visit HugYourMoney.com.
1: Ooh, all that jazz and Ruth Griggs, you're with us. You always bring us, Ruth, somebody who has a really special talent. But every once in a while you bring us somebody who's got a whole bunch of really special talents. Oh
13: man, did you ever get that right? <laughs> Um, my guest today is Adam Simon, who um, I am thrilled to have met recently over the summer, because I was on the search committee of Edwards Church, where Adam is now the uh, music director uh, of at Edwards Church um, as of this September. So, thank you for joining our community, Adam. Thanks, Thanks for having as, me.
1: Great as to be as here. my people say, muzzle tough for uh, the new <laughs> position. <laughs> well, <Thank> that.
15: I'm one of the tribe, <laughs> yeah,
13: which is which is awesome. so, um and and while while jazz is not Adams' primary genre of music, he is such an incredible talent that I am so excited about, um, I just wanted to bring him on the show to talk about the incredible projects that he's working on and um, just, we're not going to have enough time. Um, he also brought his guitar, so he's going to be um, playing a playing a song at the end of, of the show. So, um, what Stick around. What, Stick it's the around. Last night a
1: Hanukkah for me. Huh? Yeah. all excited. <laughs> There you go. There Good. you
13: go. Thank you. Good
1: to be here.
16: So
13: so Adam um is really known for his his collaborative um work in music as an arranger, as a composer, as a vocalist, um, as a musician, a multi-instrumentalist he is. And 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 that's gonna be the theme of this entire show today is collaboration. And it's not just United States collaboration; it's collaboration around the world. So, with that, like multifaceted introduction, Adam. Yeah. <laughs> do you want to start in the U.S. or do you want to start in Corsica? <laughs> <laughs> uh,
15: we did spend some time in Corsica recently. Um, yeah, I think overall, I, I, uh, my my wife Sophie Michaud and I moved to. Western Mass, kind of in the middle of the pandemic, high, high pandemic, I guess we were calling it. And uh, <clears throat> we just, we, I think we just got really lucky, the right place at the right time, where Western Mass, this this region is just so rich already with so many amazing musicians, artists, performers. The street we live on in Conway is like every single person is an artist or an author or a musician. And there's just this, this, this thirst here. People just want music. They want interesting con- concert programming. Um, they want to sing, they want to make, make music, they want to uh, take, be, be part of, of, of the arts in a really, really fun way. And we've just been so lucky. And uh, so, uh, so my wife and I started a, a, a big uh, choir out in the hilltown. Well, in it Conway. didn't start out big. That's, well, yeah, I mean... That's st- <laughs> an amazing story. <laughs> yeah. Well, we started, we st- the first, we, this is the second season of the South River Singers, and we started in our barn on uh, in, in Della Bar in Conway and uh, we had about 30, the limit of the c- group could be about 30, 35 people, and this year we're at the new uh, UCC Church in Conway, which is fantastic space, beautiful space. For, that was
13: renovated after the uh, tornado. Yeah, just, really
15: totally rebuilt. Just, it's it's just a gorgeous uh, new space, and the folks there have been really great, and um, and uh, so now we're about 50 people in there, <laughs> uh, and we are, we're kind of full at the moment, but... Um, you know, definitely still reach out to us if you want to sing. We we're we're all about making trying to make new opportunities uh, to sing, whether it's another group or a huge uh, big workshops. So, you know, we we might be doing weekend workshops, for example, where it's an all day singing um, in Northampton or maybe in Conway. So
13: so keep your eyes open for South River Singers, and if they're performing in Northampton. Which, um, interestingly, there was a concert that um, Adam and his wife hosted um, at Edwards Church the day after Halloween. It was a Wednesday night. It was your average Wednesday night. And I walked into this concert of the tiny glass tavern um, performers. And I thought, I'm going to go to this concert to support Adam. Because I know it's a Wednesday night. And I don't know how many people will be there. The place was packed, which means there were 300 people in there. And one of the most magic things that happened was that all of his South River singers were just sort of scattered around in the audience because obviously they wanted to come and hear um, Adam and his wife Sophie. And it was sort of like a, a flash mob that happened because because Adam and Sophie and the incredibly talented young musicians that were performing they were singing a song they were performing and all of a sudden all of these voices came in like on the refrain it just just magically and people were looking around and it was it was it it's giving me goosebumps remembering it <laughs> it was it was a very very special touch of exactly showing the participation that the 50 people that were in the audience had in that concert of mm-hmm. 300 people,
1: yeah, Adam. A lot of times when Ruth brings in these wonderful musicians, we're celebrating professionals. But you are really trying to bring music out of the rest of us.
15: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's one of the big uh, one of the big things that I, but my wife and I both are really really disdain about the concert culture and especially classical music. Is this idea that music is is for the concert hall uh, and that? Classical art music is for the concert hall and 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 cannot be shared by everyone. But we we really try to to elevate everyone's experience with it and not try to dumb anything down, but just try to be inclusive. And why why w- do you think why? it's important? Because this this most art most air quotes art music didn't really start as art music. Uh, there might sure there might be some stuffy court composers from yesteryear, but a lot of a lot of the art and classical music we think about is not. Um, didn't come from from that, that that stuffy place where you have to treat everything nice I we was just talking with Ruth before the inter- interview about Monteverdi Monteverdi was a total renegade avant-garde weirdo that, that people wrote treatises, I forget the guy's name but someone wrote a treatise about him saying how he, he's awful and he's breaking all the rules and no one should do this you know um, <laughs> so cl- a lot of the times classical music is like is just really exciting and and, and uh, thrilling music and you need to you need to be able to present it uh, in the right in the right way um, yeah.
13: So I think that one of the things that we are going to present um, um, in, a, in, a, I think right now, um, is a piece that's from a new album that that you and your wife have produced within the past thirty days. Yeah. Tell us about what what, what you're going to hear.
15: And you repeat your wife's name yeah. slowly. Yeah. My wife is Sophie Michaud. Uh, she's been on our shows several yeah, times. Yeah, yeah, she's been on the show. She comes on before our concerts to publicize. Um, and this is from an, uh, Coulomba's new album. Kulumba is a group that we both uh, sing in and, and direct. And uh, this track is one of. I, I brought two of my slightly jazzier pieces to share with you because I figured it would fit the fit the the bill. And uh, this is a a, a, so, a song of mine called Cherry Street. The text is Amazing Grace, but the music is brand new.
4: Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg coming up right here on WHMP. Find local news and local talk for the Valley. If we didn't, go for this project the cost to repair the schools is estimated
9: at 80 million and we don't get help with that so this vote is the absolutely the smartest financial choice and it's getting a building that we desperately need for our educators
7: and for our students
4: where the heart of the pioneer valley lives 1015 and 1400 whmp news information and the arts
8: Last summer, Whalen Insurance finally did what a lot of insurance agencies around New England had done long ago. We partnered with a call center to handle routine things like a change of address. It went okay, but we're not going to continue. We found out that, no matter how simple or complicated the matter at hand, you prefer to talk to us. As one longtime Whalen Insurance client told me, the people at the call center are great, but they're not Amy. I like knowing I can call and talk to Amy every time. I guess I should have known. Local people and local service are what sets Whalen Insurance apart from those big one 800 insurance companies. When you want a quote, when you need help with a claim, or anything else, just call. Or come to our office on King Street. Talk to Amy or Kelly or Mindy or Valerie or Lori. We tried the call center. You tried the call center, and we found out that you prefer talking to us. Whalen Insurance. Local people, local service, local insurance. Call 586 586- 1,000.
9: There's nothing like being in the same room at the same time, sharing your experiences with other women. At Cancer Connection's Breast Cancer Support Group, we can laugh or cry. With our burdens lifted, even for a little while, we can go back to our lives better able to handle dealing with cancer and all it entails. Go to cancer-connection.org to learn more or to donate today. Cancer Connection relies on local donations to make its services free of charge.
4: You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. You
1: know, despite the fact that I really love radio, what it doesn't do is depict the, the breadth of the smiles on our faces here in the studio um, with uh, Ruth Greaves' uh, guest today, Adam Simon. Um, That's riff.
13: right. We we are we are smiling here, and hopefully you're smiling out there too. Um, having just heard uh, Adam's wife Sophie Michaud um, sing a beautiful rendition of. Uh, a, a theme of Amazing Grace that Adam, as a composer, um, has has written. And, you know, we, we've talked very broadly about all of what you do, Adam, but where did this inspiration come from for the incredible depth of knowledge of music and this gift of giving it to other people? Where did mm-hmm. that come from?
15: I think, I mean, it comes from a lot of places. Um, a big, a big, a uh, big, you know, influence on my musical life and still a a present, a present community for me was Village Harmony, uh, which is based out of uh, Vermont. Um, uh, Village Harmony is a large organization that does singing camps all around. They're based in Vermont. But um, when I was a teenager, I went to South Africa and Germany with them, traveling with some South African singers. And they really just sing all, all sorts of vocal polyphonic music. It's all about choral Choral polyphonic traditions, which is what Columba does as well. And um, and explain what that is quickly. Polyphonic, it's uh, music with lots of different parts at the same time. And it's <laughs> harmony, all harmony a- singing, a- you and it's call. a cappella. It, uh, Te, most of what ten, we do is a cappella. Right. We don't have any sort of strict rule about that, but we we have a couple uh, instruments we like to break out and are, having
13: are been at a couple of the concerts back in the in the, in the day of northern harmony yeah. it's it's in multi different languages. So it's it's very sort of the ethnic traditional folk music of these different lands. Yeah. And and it's not just the language, it's the whole vocal technique that yeah, you we, all you know, are I able mean, to express.
15: Uh, we're we're more successful in some styles than others, but um <laughs> We, we try to do our best to actually travel to the places and study with the, the, the people who, who actually are, are in those traditions. Last summer, we um, Sophie and, and Lysander from our group and Lexi uh, and I went with a bunch of people to Corsica and got to study and sing with, uh, with, with uh, two, two singing teachers there, which was really special. And, and you know,
13: Corsica reminds... Corsica
15: is in the Mediterranean. It's, it's just south of France, uh, west of Italy. The... So it's French speaking. Uh, yeah, it is. It is. They they there is the Corsican language, um, which is which is still spoken. But they also tend to speak French. They're politically part of France, but in de- very very independent culturally, and uh, you know wouldn't want to be called part of France. <laughs>
13: <clears throat> well, sticking to the theme of of really inspiring people to and and in giving them the courage to sing, which as a vocalist I I just applaud. One of the things that I've observed as a member of Edwards Church is that we have a choir again but it looks very very different and it is it is with people that I, I really haven't seen before singing and it's it's you can t- you can feel the energy and the enthusiasm and the sense of support that you give people at Edwards Church. Can you tell us a little bit about that and and what's coming up at Edwards during this holiday season? My
15: programming at Edwards is very inspired by all the other groups and the the whole tradition of singing all different kinds of music. So I really try to keep it varied. I'm I'm trying to sing traditional music from various places. Obviously, most of it in this context is Christian music, but we fit all sorts of stuff in. We sang a a Ukrainian harvest song. We sang a, a Sephardic lullaby last week. And um, and on Christmas Eve, we're having a, a really fun smattering of of all sorts of different music. We're singing some uh, Corsican, some Georgian, uh, Re- Republic of Georgia polyphonic music, an American shape note song, um, alongside some you know more traditional medieval Renaissance. Uh, uh, Early music. Christian All early
13: in music. one night?
15: Yeah. <laughs> we're oh gonna, We're going to try to fit it in, yeah. Actually, <laughs> Sophie and Lysander, both from Coulomba, are coming to as sort of well, s- s- special guest ask, singers.
1: I'd like to ask this, Adam Simon, and maybe you, Ruth Griggs. When when you are um, arranging, composing music for a religious ceremony, Yeah, uh, it used to be just part of the liturgy, and we the same things were done, and now th- there's more of um, presenting a unique kind of take on the music that people... Does that... Well, let me ask you first, Ruth. That's what is that, Adam is doing. Well, I'm going to ask you, does that enhance the spiritual experience of uh, uh, being involved in a church service?
13: I think it does, because you never know what song, what language, what style, um is going to touch what person? Mm-hmm. So, so it has the opportunity to to reach more people in different ways. And number one, and number two, it exposes people to the magic of music from all around the world. And and I I really appreciate sitting in the pews at Edwards Church, and hearing this music that heretofore we had not heard. Is there
1: anything more spiritual than the epiphany of we are all together, we are all one? Mm-hmm. How about you, Adam Simon? What are you looking for in the, the, what you choose to present at the Edwards
15: Church? Well, I mean, I think, yeah, in the spirit of of just having a diversity of different kinds of music for different people, um, and just to bring people in who are t- to be ex- excited about singing, because I think a lot of people have this concept of what a church choir is or what church is, and I think that there's a lot of uh, really fun, young energy at Edwards Church right now. Um, and I'm just excited to, to tap into that and make people realize that singing is just about the best thing you can do. <laughs> it's just, it's, the, it, it's a community builder like nothing else. And it feels so good on a personal level. So it's just, you know, I, I just want people to come and sing with me. Wherever I might be, <laughs> <laughs> it's
13: also good for you. I mean, yes, absolutely. just the the act of the breathing um, and and hearing the harmonies on either side of you, and as well as the the sense of of um, connection that you have with other individuals is, let alone the fact that you're dealing with music. All of those things that I just mentioned are very very. Um, they're they're just—they just lift you up. Um, I'm in Valley Jazz Voices, which we are actually going to be talking about in a couple of weeks, and—and and that certainly is what the, the exhilaration of singing together is—is is very, very powerful. We have and, a neighbor
1: in hospice, and and we're going to be caroling uh, in front of that neighbor's house, and we are all just talking about how excited we are to just get together and sing together even though our real focus is on that neighbor. One more question before we actually hear from Adams,
15: which is, do you have a a concert, something upcoming that you want to promote right now? Yeah, um, the the closest thing that I have is uh, at the Northampton Center for the Arts on February 16th, that's a Friday, at 7.30. Um, uh, Our group, Tiny Glass Tavern, me and Sophie, Sophie's group, rather, uh, is hosting um, visitors from Pennsylvania, Chivalrous Crickets, they're called, and we're doing a really fun um, concert there, on the uh, musical p- pilgrimage through the lives of the saints, it's going to be fun,
13: right? And and they and and also um, Kulamba as well as Tiny Glass Tavern just um, issued a new album uh, for both groups. If you want to learn more about Adam Simon, you go uh, to Adam. Um, jacobsimon.com yep. adamjacobsimon.com yep. and Adam is going to give us a treat uh, right now and for you out there yeah, thanks. what I'll are you going to play Adam? i play a
15: little bit of an original song of mine um, and also in the spirit of all sorts of weird music coming together the words are from a from a poem from the Republic of Georgia translated into English
1: and Adam Simon, the new director of music at Edwards Church will play us out
16: Small sweetie, why have you killed my heart? I kept you in a cage, I kept you in a cage Like a May nightingale, I kept you in a cage And fed you with the sugar, I fed you with the sugar Yes, I did, as if it were fine bread and cheese my killer my burner my closest neighbor hey small sweetie i just don't know how to put out the fire how to put it out how to put out the fire that you have set in me Ah. My
2: name is Silas Cuff. I have long been a friend of Riverside Industries in East Hampton. For more than 50 years, they have empowered and supported adults with developmental disabilities. People are treated with dignity and respect, and the Riverside team helps them to reach their goals and even find employment in our area. You may not realize it, but you encounter people every day in our community that receive training and support from Riverside Industries. To learn more about the fine work that Riverside Industries does, go to rsi.org.
11: The Literacy Project is the place to go if you are an adult looking to improve your reading, writing, and math skills, or if you want help preparing for the high school equivalency exam and preparing for college. To find out about our free classes in Franklin and Hampshire counties, check us out online at literacyproject.org or call us in Northampton
8: at 413-584-6755. If you want to learn, the
16: Literacy Project is the place for you. W.H.